0: Oh, oh, it's on. Let's go.
1: This is the Lights Camera Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast. On this episode,
2: you're after something.
1: Is it revenge, money
2: or is it something else? You look good, a little rough around the edges, but good.
0: Heard about a job, big shot gangster putting together
3: crew. I'm a driver and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Oh. Well, what do you know? You got a lion on a ship?
2: Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around.
3: I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true.
2: Yes. <laughs> L3!
3: Let's go with a mean man's face.
2: Hey, are these guys?
3: If you come with us, you're in this life for good.
4: might wanna buckle up, baby. Here I
0: come! Let me give you some advice. Assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed.
3: I got a really good feeling about this.
2: <laughs> when do you know how to fly? <laughs> 190 years old? (laughs) You look great. Push it!
0: So glad we took this job!
1: Do it! Solo, a Star Wars story. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Winkler, and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews podcast. I hope everybody loves the new intro and the new platform. Um, Something that we wanted to do, be more interactive for everybody to get into. And uh, this is kind of our first part of our kind of debate, uh, I guess, kind of series, I could say, with uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. We were all so divided on this, and I thought this was the perfect movie to do our first debate on. So... I am back here with Jason Khabasik, Jeremy Larson, Alistair Engelhart, and Daniel English. And man, I'll tell you, this movie had us all divided, and I'm surprised.
5: Are you really surprised, though?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, at least me and Jeremy are on the same page. <laughs>
3: When you were introducing, I, I thought you were just gonna stop right there. I thought this was the perfect movie. Period.
1: <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> uh, so um, I don't know who the best person to start this out is. Uh, should we start with the negative or the good? Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna go with uh, Jeremy Larson here. I want to okay. see your opinion first. All
5: right. So solo. Solo, Solo, Solo. We're, we're absolutely completely split uh, with this, with Mystery Man Dan down below. Um, I, I feel that Jason and Alistair do not like Solo, A Star Wars Story, because it doesn't seem to follow the same structure throughout the entirety of the movie. I'm going to explain why. Okay. now it it 's kind of a mix between two genres of film it 's like half mobster film half western, and it doesn't fit together as well as you would like look at- sh- like the show like the Mandalorian
3: sure
5: I feel like you would like solo a story so a star Wars story a lot more a lot better if it were in the same structure as the Mandalorians television show. Instead of a
0: movie
5: that shoved everything together, I feel like a longer Han Solo story would have been easier for you to digest. Hmm. This was so much information that was smushed into a two-hour, 17-minute movie and you couldn't take it all because it didn't flow well enough. Wait
3: a second. Wait a second.
5: Everything came too fast.
3: So I I love too much being the mystery man to reveal how I truly felt about the movie. But... I'm expecting to hear why you like it, not why Jason and Alistair didn't like it. No, actually, oh. I, 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 I'm, I want him to keep fueling me because he's making points that I didn't even think about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you see, now I'm going to break my silence. He nailed it right on the head. <laughs> gotcha. But I. There was way too much stuff in this film to really process at all being shoved into a two-hour, 17-minute film. It could have been done a lot better if they would have extended it by maybe even half an hour. That it could have given you more time to digest all the information you were being given, like everything going on in the film. Another half hour, maybe. Or if they would have cut out some of the stuff, it would have been a better film.
5: And it could have been. I don't... I don't. By all means, I don't think that Solo is a perfect Star Wars film, let alone a perfect film. But it is an, it is a good film. I will say it is a good film.
3: So why didn't you like it, Al? Me?
4: Yeah.
3: Um, yeah. So, well, should I
4: start with what I loved or, or just go right into what my critiques were? I'd
3: like to hear both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
4: Well, I'll, I'll say in rapid fire what I loved and then I'll chime in because I feel like others will bring up what I loved later on. I loved Maul and the, the connection to Clone Wars and the Rebels, and kind of the, the tugging at the fans uh, in, into those two series. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Glover. I thought he was a great uh, Lando. Loved the Kessel Run. I got chills when that Star Destroyer popped up. I thought that was really cool. Um, L3, I thought L3 was a great, uh, great character, very novel, um, and one, one of the few things about the movie that, that I thought were truly original. Um, and I liked like Nest and uh, just the whole um, the group of was it, was it the Cloud um, Cloud Riders was that their name like the, kind of the pre-rebellion? Does anyone remember what they actually called themselves?
3: Oh, uh, the Crimson Cloud, I think. Crimson Cloud. Not
4: well. There's there was the 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 um the 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 villains, but then there was that group at the end that that we thought oh. were that ended up being Crimson like Dawn.
5: Crimson Dawn. Crimson. No, it's, they fought against, they're the Cloud Riders. It's yeah, Cloud Riders, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dawn. I,
4: really, I, I, I like Enfys Nest, the lead of the Cloud Riders, particularly, and I, I, I'm hopeful that that character will come back in one of the um, the new series. But, um, yeah, so that that was rapid fire, what I liked about the film. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll start out um, with something I, I recognized a bit more <laughs> as I was watching the film again, which is I actually really didn't like the soundtrack, um, really, it didn't feel very John Williamsy to me, and I went back and, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't being overly impacted by um, my dis- my distaste for some other things, and so I listened I listened to um, Giacchino's Rogue One soundtrack, um, and kind of tried to put it in the context of some of the feel of, of Star Wars music, and I think that I think that Giacchino did a much better job than um, I, his name is John Powell. John Powell did. And he what's 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 ironic to me is that John Powell actually partnered with Williams on the soundtrack for solo. And so he even had Williams um chipping in a little bit. Um whereas Gina Tino didn't have any any um at least much oversight from or partnering with with uh John Williams. And mm-hmm. I still think that he did a little bit of a better job um with the, the soundtrack, just a little thing. Um so i i think the big the big question for me is what makes han solo uh and for me i i i don't feel like solo is the character i don't think he's the vest i don't think he's primarily the attitude and those are all things that i think um that um aaron reich was was trying to bring in and actually i think did a pretty good job of bringing in um, but I think the one thing that would have been impossible for him to really channel is Harrison Ford. And for me, I really think Han Solo is mostly Harrison Ford. And I, I think one of, the, one of the the biggest examples that is actually Dan Schert, um, the fact that even, even compared to Lucas's knowledge of the character, Harrison knew the character so well that he, he ad-libbed that line. You know, he, mm-hmm. he knew Harrison Ford almost better than Lucas did. Um, and uh, I just, I just didn't feel like Aaron Reich was able to really capture that. Um, and, and again, I, I didn't expect him to. Um, so, um, in some ways, I'm more optimistic about Sebastian Stan um, playing Luke, just because I, I don't know that Mark Hamill is nearly as integral to luke's character as i i felt like harrison ford is to han solo's Um, and i do think sebastian stan is gonna is gonna be able to capture it pretty well Mm -hmm. Um, i have more i don't want to i don't want to dominate so i'll let people comment on what i've said
3: (laughs) so maybe i'll seg i'll respond to that because i i think what's so interesting to me is Maybe it was the combination of just having watched Amelia Clark's awful, awful movie last Christmas. <laughs> Going in, having missed Solo completely. I, I completely missed it. I never watched uh, there it. There were so. people
2: that actually willingly <laughs> watched that movie?
3: <laughs> it was a trap. Um, yeah. But so I, I went into Solo in preparation for this. And to be quite honest, I expected so little from it. <laughs> that I ended up enjoying it immensely. I, I, It's crazy. And so that's such an interesting point to hear you talk about Han Solo <laughs> because I felt like, you're right, in terms of the surface things, he captured Han Solo with like the flatness to his voice and even some of his facial expressions and mannerisms. I thought he did a really good job of ironically, channeling Harrison, not maybe in the deeper ways that you're talking about, but you could tell very much that he was aware of Han Solo, the character in the original trilogy and that he was at least attempting to emulate him. But what I found interesting about it was the ways in which he was different from the Harrison we know in A New Hope. And, And in the same way that the prequel trilogy shades Anakin's journey, I found depth in Harrison Ford, you know, who was a little less cynical at first, who was a little bit more beholden to his, you know, the things that eventually showed, (coughs) um, eventually showed at the end of the original trilogy, we got to see in their not-yet-been-jaded forms in Solo, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I love a good heist movie, so in that way, it felt a lot like Avengers Infinity War in the sense that the heist was all built around these events that we were already aware of, in the lore of the movie. Like, they didn't do it as well as Infinity War because they literally interspersed between scenes that we had seen before. uh, And had characters interact with their previous selves. But I loved knowing that the crux of this heist was going to be the thing that they always had referenced in some obscure fashion in the original trilogy, and we were going to get to witness it. And you mentioned that's one of the parts you loved. But I also loved the Kessel Run. I thought they kept in line with introducing an awesomely two-dimensional, three-dimensional character in the droid. Um, Each of these movies has given us droids of such depth. And so, like, you know they're a robot, but you can't help but feel attached to them uh, in each movie. Um, I loved Lando. Um, I thought Amelia Clark's performance was good. I was surprised by the twist, and then the double twist surprised me again. So I just I just felt like it was an enjoyable movie. And then finally, the fact that it ended where it did, I think is the worst part about it, is that they're not going <laughs> to honor it with the sequel, because I want to see more of the story. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so that that was my thought. I But again, I think for me it was a matter of I went in with very low expectations. I had not heard amazing things about Solo. Uh, my least favorite thing was how they chose to expound upon the origin story for Han and Chewie's relationship. Um, I think that deserved a little bit more thought, but it was still okay. Uh, but it could have been way better, in my opinion. Sure. Um But, yeah, and I also liked how they gave him, they added meaning to certain elements of his character, like his blaster and, you know, Mm -hmm. the ship. And they just shaded in more of who Han was. Um, Yeah, so I I really liked it. That's... Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at.
1: Well, I'm glad that we got a third person on our side. I, I, I like that. Um, it feels weird to agree with so many of you in the podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I think the thing that gets me the most about this movie is, when I, I remember when I saw it the first time, um, my anticipation level wasn't high. Um, Not like, you know, going to see a regular episode of Star Wars, you know, like a seven or an eight or a nine. And... I remember coming out of it thinking, okay, it, it didn't necessarily feel like a Star Wars movie the first time I saw it. it. It was taking time for me to really get onto it. And then when I saw it a second time, I just sat there and thought, wow, the movie embraced some of the best elements of the prequels and the, and the, and the original trilogy. It, it, it captured the spirit. And I, and I know, I like you said, Alistair, about um, him trying to capture being Harrison Ford that being the biggest issue. When I first saw the movie, I thought, okay, I liked his 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 um, portrayal of Solo, but it wasn't Harrison Ford enough for me, which was fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then the more I've seen the movie, um, I start seeing the little Harrison Ford mannerisms. I start seeing the little things. And then I remember watching Solo and then watching the original trilogy right after it. And all of a sudden I saw things that mm-hmm. he did almost uh, Harrison Ford perfectly on the way he delivered some lines, the mannerism, the looks on his face, even the way he would hold the gun in his hip, everything. I can tell that he studied the part and it made me appreciate what he did with the part. And now that I see it more, it it improves the movie and the Darth Maul at the end, by the way, was the icing on the cake. Mm hmm. And I'm really bummed, like you said, Dan, about not being able to see more of that. Oh, maybe that Lando series, we will see more of Crimson Dawn. Oh, watch Rebels.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, and I was going to say so few IPs within the Star Wars universe have recognized Darth Maul's worth. Mm -hmm. And I have found lately that the... The modern Star Wars that do work to connect themselves to the animated series that exist in canon are among the best. I mean, this newest season of Mando, I'm sure we'll get into it as we talk to it. But The Mandalorian, all the ways that it's connected to the best that Star Wars has to offer... Um, and, and really the most veritable, too, or variety-filled. Like, I I loved that it felt different. I, Rogue One I loved for a very similar reason, is that it was unique and it was separate from the larger arcs, but connected in a way that I felt was strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's an important question. as As Solo is about... Han Solo, and I know we've talked about this before, but just as a litmus test to see who really knows who Han Solo is, which of you think Han shot first?
1: Mm. Mm. Oh,
3: boy. Didn't Lucas rule on <laughs> us recently? <laughs> he did rule on it, and you know what? <laughs> I was convinced. <laughs> I'm a sucker to be contrarian, too, and I know everyone... I felt like people I'll just spill my beans i felt like people were overly excited to be legalistic about whether he shot first or second (laughs) based on the canon of the original film Hmm. without giving the story writers or creators or owners the ability to make that change for a specific reason and george lucas's reasoning behind it essentially from what i remember was That Han shot second because in the wild, wild west of space, he's that he's that gentleman cowboy. Um, (laughs) Sure. And I honestly, I think we saw a softer side of Han in this movie that I really loved.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice to see Han humanized. In a way, um, to see that what he's been through, building up to a new hope, and that his journey wasn't as smooth as maybe some people may have thought that it was. Yeah. And well I mean, enough, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's uh, more than just a scoundrel, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah. And I, I. One of the things I actually didn't like, but it does serve to explain why he's lived an entire life of crime, is when, um, gosh, I forget Woody Harrelson's character name, but when he tells oh, wow. him, you know, if you make this decision, yeah, yeah. He says, mm-hmm. when you make this decision, you're in it for life. And it kind of made mm-hmm. this like, oh, here's the origin story of, you know, the outlaw solo. Hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Which is, is clearly extremely disappointed because we're going to not see that, um, that second movie, like we were talking about.
3: So that's, that's, that's least, confirmed. We're not going to have one. I
5: I can't, I am with how it flopped and how many people didn't enjoy it. Last I, Jedi's fault. It is. Yeah, the last it, Jedi. It,
4: it, it did have a, I think there was a lot of Star Wars fatigue when Solo came out. And I do
5: think that that was a little bit of a, of a misstep on uh, mm. Lucasfilm's part, which is really unfortunate because I know that a second movie would answer all the questions.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I don't think that was a misstep on Lucasfilm's part. I think that was more a misstep on Disney's part because after they bought the rights to Lucasfilms and anything Star Wars related, they're like, let's shove it down people's throats and make them hate the product. Overload. Although I'm really excited about High Republic. Did you all see the trailer? I I haven't haven't.
4: watched it yet, but I watched it. I, I think, right. going back to Dan's point of just like the uh, kind of creating a lot of interconnections between different media, I think that they really captured that or uh, are, are yeah. grabbing hold of that for High Republic, which I think is going to be really cool.
2: So I'm just going to get this out of the way now. And just so that way I can appease Mike and Jeremy. <laughs> it wasn't. And Dan, so much <laughs> It wasn't real. I mean, to be me perfectly honest, like all the points that. I, Alistair and Dan have both made about the film are spot on. Oh. It wasn't, but to me, it really wasn't so much the fact that this film was just as bad as people say it was. It's the fatigue. At that point, I was just so fed up with anything Star Wars related that I just, I was bound to hate anything that came out after a certain point.
5: Mm. It was because of all the the, uh, it was the split uh fandom when it came to the last
3: jedi well it wasn't just the split fandom it was the politicking and the split oh, yeah. production that's if there's one thing that ruins a movie it's wor- one thing that ruins a movie worse than having a vision that isn't the best mm-hmm. is having a production company not be able to decide between one vision or the other cuz then you don't yeah. really have a passion piece of work that, that mm-hmm. someone was proud to present. You just right. have like something that was scrounged together. That was my problem with The Last Jedi is it, it was at war with the rest of the mm-hmm. canon. And it was yeah. almost fighting with itself, but not even in like a clever, self-aware way. It was just yeah. brushing things under the table. And yeah, yeah. Um, and like
2: for me, a lot of the films like these are a lot of films that have a lead into a sequel or a perceived sequel in mind. Mm-hmm. Especially with the big reveal of Maul at the end of Solo <laughs> here, yeah. you were fully expecting a sequel to happen, explaining more of what's going on and what would happen it gives me a better chance to go back after watching that sequel to go and rewatch the uh, original film to go and get more of a grasp on what they were trying to accomplish in that film. It allows me to have a little bit more of a clear head and to appreciate what they were trying to do in the prior film compared to what they're doing now. But without us really going to be having a chance to have that happen, I'm kind of mm. still left with my original thought process. Like, it's just the fatigue of Star Wars just kind of ruined it for me.
4: Mm. And I and I do think that they, they painted themselves into a corner a little bit with, with Solo and that. I, I almost felt like it, it took the concept of an origin story to... Almost this ridiculous height, like mm-hmm. just with, with, with everything that we know that defines solo being crammed into like four days of his life. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> you know, at least at least leave some mystery around the lucky dice, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: <laughs> I, um, I think um, I just explained it was just very busy and, and it almost became predictable. Like you almost knew yeah. what was coming because they were they
3: were unraveling every unanswered question. That's um, that's an interesting point that i think had i not been so freshly off of watching i might be more compelled by you, the kind of when you watch something and you're like oh that was great and then you watch <laughs> it again and like some of the magic wears off and maybe you notice more details but it was very neat um but i think they they wanted all the unanswered questions to be about the future movies that now made. Sure, sure. yeah well,
2: um, yeah. one thing I will disagree with you on, Dan, is I wasn't a fan of uh, Amelia Clark's acting in this film. Really? Yeah. I think it hmm. just felt a little too forced. It didn't really feel authentic to me at all. I mean, obviously, in this kind of universe, you're not going to expect, you know, obviously a lot of authenticity. But it's just she just feels like this monotonous actress. Like mm. her real her her biggest claim to fame will and forever be obviously Game of Thrones. I think that's her strong suit. Is that? Mm. Yeah. Trying to branch onto films like The Last Christmas or I'm telling you, watch uh, Last Christmas Solo,
3: and then you'll be wanting to give her an Oscar for Solo. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, you I know? mean, another thing though, like it, that was one of the problems with the movie that I had is that that relationship wasn't as fleshed out as a lot of things were meant to be. It's like you suddenly got thrown into a relationship you're supposed to care about. Right. Because, well, because, they, because they were so busy.
4: Because they were trying to cram so much else and that it was hard yeah. to develop that
1: that, th- yep. that is movie's biggest problem. If you watch a lot of movies, a lot of things tend to happen in a very fast, quick amount of time. Yep. Sure. And when you've only got two hours to tell a story, you have to tell a movie, you know, at, at a quick pace. Mm-hmm. And that's my biggest problem when i write a script too is is being able to lay things out in a very quick amount of time. and the the reason why i'll look at it as not being 4 days in this movie is because we're never told how quickly things happen in this movie. Mm-hmm. we 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 are led to think that things are happening one after the other after the other but
0: mm-hmm.
1: i i look at it as maybe like okay it's being told very fast but maybe this is happening over a week or two week period. You know, maybe there's maybe there's lulls we're not seeing because the movie has to tell its story at a quick pace.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and a lot of movies are guilty of this. And that all has to do with the fact that you've got a limited time to tell a story and you don't have the time to show the the large gaps of time that are missing. Are, if you want to there... know what the
2: biggest issue with this is nowadays? Sorry to cut you off, Dan. No, go ahead. Oh uh, what a lot of the films these days, it's not so much that. It's more along the lines of It seems like the general public that are watching anything nowadays have such a short attention span that they're trying to get them to capture what they're trying to envision in their heads for these films in such a short amount of time.
1: Yeah, that's partially true because how many movies do we see that are cut down? They cut down its running time because they're worried about the attention span of of moviegoers. I mean, for instance, look at um, how the Harry Potter movies trimmed a lot out of them because they they didn't want them to be too long, how they had to divide mm-hmm. Deathly Hollows into part one and part two, or Hunger's Part One and Part Two, because people can't handle sitting for four hours and Dan's right too. Uh, I was about to say that's money.
2: all that is all this right there. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, that that's true. For the part one and part two, yes, that is about the money. And for Hobbit
3: thing- One, Two and Three. Come on.
1: Oh, well the yeah. Hobbit thing is. There is only about one
3: thing that
2: I was really pissed about with the Harry Potter films, and that's just the fact that we never got peeves.
1: Mm. (laughs) well how many of the harry potter films were trimmed down so much that they ended up being what uh two hours 215 i think the only one that was the longest was chamber of secrets you know you know what the
3: alternative is though it's sitting during the the 14th ending of return of the king in a movie theater seat your back hurts your butt's sweaty you're like (laughs) it's true. okay this is great but wrap it up yeah well right. you
2: see i was the exact opposite of
1: that i'm like the longer i sat there I'm more i'm like yes give me more german the germany does cinema perfectly because with a lot of their foreign films they have no problem with running time they put intermissions in the middle mm-hmm. and it's like america oh, nice. american cinema is afraid to put an intermission i'd be more than happy to sit during an intermission I'll get right. more popcorn. I'll get more, yeah, to drink. Get more
4: popcorn, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're
1: afraid to put the intermission break. It's like, I'm willing to do that if, if that means the movie. Okay, I'd rather have a movie be too long and tell too much story than right. not tell enough of it and be right. too short. I, right. You know
3: what's so interesting is, and this goes back to the question I was going to ask, is there has to be pacing has to be one of the most challenging elements of a movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know any of the technical aspects of it, but I know when a movie's too slow. I know when a movie feels too fast and, and forced, and the moments are unearned. And then there are movies that just hit the sweet spot. And for me, I recognize that Solo was maybe abbreviated or or
2: it, it did feel yeah. pretty abbreviated. It, but like I said, it it was a matter of they felt like they just tried to shove too much yeah. in there and cut too much stuff out. What they were trying to actually do, that they couldn't find a happy medium
3: in there. But I did love the pacing. Like I recognized when Beckett's mm-hmm. wife died, it was kind of like, okay, she's gone. What? Mm-hmm. And yeah, he moves he- on
1: from that a little too quickly. Yeah,
3: and and so I recognized they didn't take the time, but at the same time. It wasn't overly pensive and slow and just like uh, drudging right through no. all these. Yeah, I I liked mm. the pace. It felt energetic. I never, he, at one point in the movie, was like, I wish this were onto something new.
5: See, I think I think Beckett got over it. Uh, it. He did get over it quickly, but I think that's because he was really focused on the business aspect of what was going on. Fair point. Because they met up with Dryden Voss right after the failed heist. And that's like, you're not going to show any emotion to, to those people.
3: Impending like, sure. death.
5: Stuck exactly. in his brain.
3: Yeah, yeah. I w- that is interesting. Because I was very shocked at her willingness to sacrifice her life for that job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was before you knew the stakes. But I was like, really? Why, why is she killing herself? What's... they want to be rich badly enough to die like that material gain and and, and, self-sacrifice didn't seem to
5: (laughs) it fits Mm -hmm. because she's also sacrificing herself for the the rest of them because Mm -hmm. if they don't pay them off then they get killed by them like it's it's that trade-off
1: yeah i think that what i liked about it the most is that the tandy newton you know she's a known actress and from all the promotional material for the film, it made it seem like she's going to be around the whole movie. She's a big central part of the plot. And she (laughs) is, but in a different way than anybody would have expected. And that's what makes her death shocking because when it, I know when I saw it and it happened, I was like, wow, they killed off a a character of her acting caliber and and her being known so soon. It's like, okay, this movie took a little bit of a risk here. Yeah. Killed off a character that we didn't get to know all that much. We got to know just enough. To make her death feel like it impacted Beckett. Exactly. To be
3: fair, though, that movie had a lot of star power. It I did. Mean, I didn't know Paul Bettany was going to be in the film. I didn't um,
2: either until yeah. after it, I watched it the first time. I'm like, holy hell, Dryden Voss is Paul Bettany. This yeah. is amazing.
5: And then yeah. Rio he is such a good power. job. Yeah. Like there, there's there's so many big names.
4: Yeah. <laughs> So I, we haven't talked too much about uh, our thoughts on Glover.
5: I love uh, I, I, Donald Glover is
4: that. such a good actor. I know. I, I I was reading that all five of us were at least in agreement on Glover. <laughs> oh yeah.
3: Well, so no, <laughs> it probably doesn't hurt that earlier this year, Mariah and I went through Community, and so there was even a distinctly Troy feeling moment. Mm. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but yeah, I loved his portrayal, and I loved how touch and go their relationship was it really set it up for them to be shaky allies at best in the future mm-hmm. um I, it's
2: just it just speaks volumes of what donald glover can do because i cannot even before i watched the film i couldn't have pictured anyone else playing a young lando calrissian
1: mm. He played it to perfection. I mean, the oh, mannerisms, yeah. the voice, it's everything. The talking, it was just so great. Yeah. Everything about it. Hmm. Uh, the uh, the Lando series coming out now is rumored to be having not only him in it, but Billy D Williams, and they're going to go back oh, and forth. Oh,
5: cool.
4: Wow. So, I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention to you guys, too, because we were talking about Dryden Voss and having uh, Paul Bettany in there. Um, Paul Bettany was not originally casted in the role. Ooh. Um, Michael K. Williams, who played in Boardwalk Empire, he was initially casted as Dryden Voss, but he was dropped when Phil Lord and Chris Miller were dropped as directors. And, mm-hmm. and, um, Ron Howard came in and, uh, he could no longer fit it in his schedule. It it, it just collided with other things. So yeah. Mike, I was going to ask mm-hmm. you about that. Do, do you know the history around the director switch? Um, there was a lot of drama on this set. And, um, from what I've read, a lot of it had to do that, um, some of, the, uh, some of the dailies and some of the footage that was coming out to Kathleen Kennedy, um, what Phil Lord and Chris Miller were doing. And you guys know that they came from the twenty one, twenty two Jump Street movies and the Lego movies, <laughs> which always dumbfounded me how they got this job to begin with, because <laughs> it's a Star no Wars series movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess that the footage they, they gave them, I guess they were altering the script and they were adding too much humor into the film, mm. too much campiness. And Kathleen Kennedy got so fired up that this is not what we want from the movie this is turning han solo into a campy funny joke of a character and she told them you you shoot the script as is and you change it now and they refused and she said well then you're fired you know what's funny
3: i don't hate the idea of a camped up version because all our complaints seem to be what that it's it's not serious enough, so just keep pushing it in that direction and make it even more tongue in cheek. And then the criticisms of like, well, this wasn't fleshed out enough kind of fall by the wayside because it's like that's just supposed that's to be fun. fun and that right. I had yeah. fun watching solo. I didn't love the way they built his relationship with Amelia Clark. I didn't love his relationship with Chewy, but it was fun and it got the point across. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, nobody really knows when they were asking what footage stayed in the movie from Chris Miller and Phil Ord versus what Ron Howard reshot. We we don't know what was shot by each director, how much had changed, what Ron Howard had done to change Mm -hmm. the movie. Um, I I guess based upon what we know, um, when Ron Howard got hired, all of a sudden George Lucas showed up on the set, which he didn't for the other two guys. So if that tells you exactly what Ron Howard brought to the table... It definitely, I think, brought more of the old Star Wars vintage type. Of I was going to say, So,
3: do you think that was George Lucas's presence as an approving member or because they were the first team to consult him? Why do you think he was on the set?
1: That's a good question. I think
2: that, I think that was a more along the lines of uh, George Lucas's presence made them go, oh, shit, we need to do this right.
1: Well, I mean, this goes back to the problems right now. Um, There's been a lot of rumors out there about uh, Disney reportedly wanting him back in the picture for Lucasfilm and that he's basically telling them that I will only come back if I can shoot my sequel trilogy treatment that I want to do. Really? And um, new rumors have also circulated. I don't know how much truth there is to this yet, but there's rumors that the Mandalorian in future seasons is going to try to erase the sequel trilogy's existence and all the future projects are going to do that possibly to make room for Lucas to make his actual sequel treatment. I am
3: admittedly very intrigued at that. Mm -hmm. I'm
1: intrigued by it too, but I don't want to be
2: 50 years old when the last film comes out. Well, don't worry. (laughs) Lucas will be
3: long dead by that time. Yeah, but then the robot Lucas will be directing his new (laughs) nine films. Or is it
1: just going
5: to be the head of George Lucas like in Futurama? Yeah. I, I guess
1: my question is... If oh, Lucas, no, it's not going to be the
2: head of George Lucas. It's going to be the head of Walt Disney coming in again.
1: <laughs> I guess my question is to you guys, if, if Lucas came back into the picture, what would you want to see changed and what would you want to see kept the same that Disney has done? Dark Roger No. Yeah. yeah. No, hell no. Fifth Jar
3: Jar could be done really well. I I commend to you all an interview with the voice actor for Jar Jar. He talks about the character and the work he put into it and how surprising the negative reception was. I, I really recommend it. And then they end it with him using Jar Jar's voice to recite Liam Neeson's line on the telephone from the first Taken movie. And it just (laughs) totally sets the picture for what a Sith Charger could be. I know it's like a silly (laughs) fan theory, but I think if they took it seriously, they could really pull it off.
5: Uh, I I think that would be a fun watch. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, there's interesting fan theory.
2: Silly fan theory or not, I think he should have been the reveal as Snoke.
1: Well, look, yeah, there there actually awesome. is a very compelling theory as to Jar- how Jar Jar is responsible. And I can buy this one. In Revenge of the Sith, he is responsible for uh, Palpatine getting the emergency powers. Called right? to vote. Yeah. And that releases the whole downfall of the Republic. So mm-hmm. in a way, it's completely justifiable that Jar Jar is somewhat evil, could turn to evil after that. Um, and that there's intent. You see, there.
2: the whole thing behind this is, I was fully expecting somewhere in the new sequel trilogy that we were gonna get a Darth Plagueis reveal.
1: Mm, it's coming. Yeah, it quite. is. Based on everything we've heard, it's coming. And I so badly
2: wanted to be the character that no one ever fucking thought it was gonna be in Jar Jar Binks, only because, <laughs> only because of. What you said there, because of
3: Revenge of the Sith, alone. too far, too far. Yeah. See, that's the thing.
5: I think. That,
3: sorry, go ahead, Jeremy.
5: I think that the 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 reason that we didn't see Jar Jar do as many big things in the other two films is because he was yeah. so negatively received in the yeah. first film, so it cut out any possibility of having him be a major role. He well, was just a. It made him yeah. be a pawn. <sighs> what it could have actually been it we're never going to see because there's no way in any universe that back then when it came out, there was no way people were going to buy that. Not for a I second mean,
1: round. Yeah. Realistically, raise your hands. If you would have bought Jar Jar being Darth Plagueis,
3: not Darth Plagueis, exactly. I that far, but, Another Plagueis, I, but definitely a dark, a dark think, side user. Yeah. I think the Lynch, the, the linchpin Of the Sith Jar Jar theory is not just that he unwittingly brought an end to democracy in the galaxy, Mm. but that the reveal of him being evil would then change every blubbering, bumbling action that he did into like a potential show. It's what makes watching Mm. Palpatine so pleasing in the prequel trilogy and then even in the animated series Clone Wars is you know that it's Palpatine hiding the fact that he's Sidious, playing from both sides, you know, pulling all these strings. And I I always enjoyed that that kind of storyline.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, did you hear what Lucas said, that if he'd done a sequel trilogy his way, Darth Maul would have been the villain of the sequel trilogy? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I don't, nice. I don't hate that.
1: Yep. I don't yeah, inter- hate that at all either.
3: Yeah. Interestingly Hopefully. enough, when it comes to Lucas... I think I'd rather see a retreatment of the prequel series not that they need to change in terms of core content and story arc <laughs> but mm-hmm. like I feel like they were good despite George Lucas like the the kernels of story there are so amazing and I've said this before why I like them is the story underneath them and not the actual story but like I just think if it had better graphics And Mm. better writing, they could keep the same storyboarding and Mm -hmm. pacing and just have a phenomenal movie.
1: It's funny that you say that because the biggest misconception of people disliking the prequels is that everybody always talks about the dialogue and hating Christensen. But the real issue with it is that the, the prequel trilogy was still well beyond its time. It wasn't ready to be made at that given point, point. and I, I Lucas spent a lot of time focusing more on the digital effects and how it was going to look versus maybe some of the dialogue and some of the some of the character development. Um, as you know, I love the prequels as is, and there's not much yeah. that, I, that I would change. Um, but if there's one thing that I would change, it would be the fact that maybe, you know, um, I, I guess the, the the relationship between Padme and Anakin would have been a little bit stronger and a little maybe a little bit more believable in its writing
3: better paced Um, yeah
1: yeah, because you know how i feel about natalie portman's performance in revenge of the sith i i I don't like her performance i think that everybody everybody judges hayden christensen and really i don't think he was the problem i think that she was the problem and um you know other than that yeah i mean I, i just think it was it was a trilogy done before it's time it should have been maybe done maybe 10 years down the road and maybe it would have benefited from that it and when
3: deciding between effects or writing and plot development i mean hindsight 2020 he chose to invest in the thing that does not age well we're not going back to the original star wars trilogy Maybe beyond like, oh, this was really cool in its time. And that does have some worth and value, but that value doesn't translate forward as well Mm -hmm. as things like strike me down now and I'll become more powerful than you can ever imagine. Like the lines and the story and the relationships are things that people will say, yeah, this looks awful. It maybe doesn't sound as cool or have, you know, whatever the modern trappings of movies are, but it has things that we can't ignore, the prequel trilogies, I feel like the investment was put into, you know, CGing a whole battle with Gungans and droids, CGing sure. a whole mm-hmm. character. Sure. And I do recognize the milestone in cinema that that must have been, but it doesn't carry the same weight for me mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Um, as those other elements. Sure. You know, Mike... Um...
4: With with your question of what I would have them change, I think one of the things that I'd love to see is some more robust, non-Force-using villains. Because um, I think that it's focused around the Sith a lot. And we've had those. But uh, even General Hux in the recent uh, trilogy was a little bit comical and wasn't really all that serious of a villain to me.
5: But Disney um, yeah, there, there was yeah. one character that I would have liked to see more of in that movie, and that was um, the... The like the really big hard ass of the, the the dreadnought that was uh, in the first part of Last the, Jedi Last Jedi yeah mm-hmm. I like he he looked like a serious character I could get behind he looked like a formidable opponent yeah that had
3: not
1: very much screen time I would have liked yeah. to
3: have seen more of Captain Phantasma right yeah
1: uh, yeah yeah she was very underdeveloped and that was a that was a huge problem with the sequel trilogy
5: yeah, yeah. she had she had Polo Fett syndrome.
1: Well, I think that's one, yeah. one of the reasons I'm so
4: excited for um Thrawn. I think that uh setting setting them, themselves up at the end of um or I guess in the middle of season two of Mandalorian to yeah. engage Thrawn is was I was really excited because I think mm. he's he's one of the most compelling um villains of the Star Wars universe that I've mm-hmm. that I've seen yet. Um yeah. other than the Emperor. But
3: You know um, what I always like too? I like explorations into the cultural and religious context around the force Hmm. one of the things that was so interesting to me and mandalorian captured it really well with a line like an old sect of magic users or wizards or whatever they called them Mm -hmm. of like zealous yeah whatever and it's like that kind of depth that you add a cultural and religious context to the group that is the Jedi Mm
0: -hmm. and
3: political context, which I think the prequel trilogy did pretty well. Um, Mm -hmm. All of those elements were just a little too cut and dry for me. And I think they were too busy just trying to be nostalgic rather than expand the canon. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's one thing I'd like to see is just more Mm -hmm. context.
1: There was a lot of Rebel Alliance political stuff cut from Revenge of the Sith. In the deleted scenes, there was a lot of political talk between Bail Organa and Padme mm. and the group that would be part of it. And and part of me want, wishes that those scenes would have ended up back in the film because I think they were very important to connecting the prequels to the original trilogy. Um, and much like the Snyder cut coming out, a lot of people have been saying, well, can we get a director's cut of Revenge of the Sith? Because there's a lot of good scenes deleted that could actually improve Revenge of the Sith. It's already a great movie as it is, but the fact that there's deleted material that could improve upon it, why not do it? Disney right. can make more money on it. Do it. I mean, it's just like with the director's cut of Rise of Skywalker out there that they want to do, which I've heard is going to happen. Hmm. I mean, if you can do director's cut of all these movies, do them. Star Wars fans will pay for them. They'll watch them. And if they hmm. flesh them out and give us more detail, then do it. Um, back to what you said about strong characters in the sequel trilogy too. Do you guys remember Allegiant General Pride from Rise of Skywalker? Yeah.
4: Who's that? Talking, about. Talk
1: um, he was the guy that was like the Moff Tarkin in in Rise of Skywalker.
5: Oh yeah. Type of character. Yeah.
1: See, yep. he's the character that basically should have been in the sequel trilogy. He should have been General Hux. He was mm-hmm. a badass Moff Tarkin type of character, and that's where Abrams yet again screwed up. He came up with a good character that came in two movies too late.
5: Mm-hmm. And well, uh, would and he have I come in like a the second? If Hux was like Abrams. a super young believer. Like he was,
3: mm-hmm.
5: he wasn't a part of the the old ways. He was a, he was right. a, he was like all the other storm or the first order troopers. He was kind of like brainwashed into this role. Yeah, and way mm-hmm. too excitable. Settle yeah. down, Hux.
3: I mean, my right. entire problem with the First Order in general is it's just more of the Empire. It's not a unique... Right. Lineage. And maybe that's a statement in and of itself that, you know, regimes just recycle and represent with different mm-hmm. names. But, um, but yeah, Solo.
5: I'm going to a... bring up another point oh, to sorry, Solo. <laughs> I'd love to um, hear it. I think it, this this film took so many risks with it, and the one risk that didn't pay off was the ending because it's the only Star Wars film ending that doesn't end with like a huge bang in some way.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the climax is a little bit um, thing. I mean, in a way, I almost felt like that during the Castle Run, that should have been where the movie was going to kind of come to an end, but then we yeah. had that whole thing with Infant's Nest, and that whole thing kind of just was just mm-hmm. kind of even even keel it was no bang, you're right. Yeah. Hmm.
3: That's such an interesting thought. And yeah. I never realized that mm-hmm. most of the endings have been pretty explosive.
5: Because, so- you know, first for episode one, it's the explosion of the Trade Federation ship and the yep. celebration. The mm-hmm. second one it's the start of the clone wars, big explosions, everything. We're uh Revenge of the Sith, it's the empire taking over, big lightsaber duel at the end. Uh Rogue One, the giant explosion on Scarif.
3: Yeah.
4: Well, you know it so was you know it was destroyed at the end of Solo
5: Jeremy.
3: Oh, come on, here we on, go. On
1: Solo's heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Surprisingly Rogue One has the most bang for your buck ending. Mm-hmm. It really does. I mean, all your central characters die. The, the planet blows essentially blows up.
2: I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch Rogue One
3: now.
1: Oh, yeah, good. yeah, he's perfect. Really well, yeah. and
3: I think Rogue yeah. One wasn't solo, also made the error clearly by having so much to tell. That mm-hmm. they made this movie feel rushed for three-fifths of us. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, they also made it so that they couldn't even fit it all. And so they had to do a cliffhanger, wait for part two ending. Yep. Its aspirations were larger than the canvas it had. Rogue One knew exactly what it was going to be and fit mm-hmm. itself right into that slot. Which is why I'm not particularly excited about the Darien. Show oh, the oh, oh, yeah,
1: I know, yeah, Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, "Eh." yeah, yeah, we know what happens to him. I mean, it's like we kind of know his journey, we know what happens to him. It's like, what are we gonna see that we have don't already know, right? Yeah, you know, so yeah, that thing's probably the least exciting one,
4: andor, yeah,
1: okay. So, I guess the big question here is now, um, let's get into as to why the three of us love this movie so much and. Kovacic hates it to death. I, I don't know if we can convince him.
2: Well, like uh, I said, that's all... Att- I, I, we talked about it already previously in the podcast. I that's pretty much at this point all attributed to Star Wars fatigue. <laughs> well, that's it's going to well, be so I, hard to change I, my mind because of it.
1: So I guess my question to you is, if, if Star Wars fatigue is the reason you don't like the movie, now that we are far removed from two years from it now, and you watched it two months ago, you still feel that way. You shouldn't feel fatigued by it anymore. Because
2: it brought it just brought back the feelings I had when watching it the first time.
3: Like it you can't. It was
2: almost like time. it was almost like it set something off in my head where it's like cycle back to two years ago, and here's the fatigue
5: back. I don't think that you're giving it an honest chance. I think uh-uh. you have you're stuck. You're stuck in your way. You're not going to change your mind unless you open up a little bit. You see, and the problem with that is, I, is we're going to need a
2: sequel to this if I'm going to give this another fair shot.
3: Hey, Alistair, you're awfully quiet over there. No, I was just thinking
4: on a scale of 1 to 10, I think I'd give it a solid meh.
1: I mean, I mean <laughs> l- l- let's look at it, though. I mean, the only movie only warrants su- a sequel. I suppose
2: I'll give this win to Jeremy, though. It's not so much that... It's hated at this point. It's, I'm just so indifferent to it at this point.
1: I mean, let's think about it, though. I mean, the movie only warrants a sequel only in the fact of Crimson Dawn and Maul. In the general sense of the Han Solo story, which is, is telling, I don't really feel like I need to know that much more between the time he gets the Falcon and A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Sure.
3: Yeah, it definitely what I would say setting up for a spin off sequel that, may or may not need to include Han Solo. Yeah. And they might address some of that stuff in the Lando series. That might scratch the itch there, but Hmm. I'm more intrigued. So I I think one of your more mysterious points, Alistair, is that the new, the young Han didn't capture the essence of Han Solo to you. Apart from that, what would you, if you couldn't critique Han and I realize he's the center yeah, particular. yeah. If it's not for Han, what were the moments that you just didn't like?
0: Hmm.
4: Uh, I didn't want to talk about the relationship very much, but I didn't I didn't really feel like the love story with uh Kira was was very compelling. It was a bit unsatisfying to me. Yeah. Um so pro- probably that. In um, what ways? It just wasn't very developed and it, yeah. it, I um yeah, I didn't find myself caring at all about any of that. They could have removed that content in my mind and and made the other parts better. Um, hmm. And I'm not sure why they felt compelled to involve a love story. Maybe they felt like that would be a crowd pleaser. And and it's on. Um, but yeah, um,
3: yeah, yeah. It's, I I agree with you because it was quick quickly introduced, and then they were quickly separated. I, I mean, you guys may know this by now. I'm a total sucker for on-screen relationships. So if you hint anything, I'm like, "Yep, I buy it. I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to convince you guys that like Clint and Natasha are the best friends Marvel has ever seen." And you guys are like, "Since when?" <laughs> um, but I. I feel like the relationship played an important role in his ability to care. I think Mm. his his later apathy was very linked to the loved ones that betrayed him and that he lost in this early film. My biggest problem is not that his relationship with Kira, is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. Was flat, but it's that. The only true friend he has is Chewie, and they just didn't give those guys enough time together. Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I think the you're right I about Kira too. Um, to
4: yeah. But, I, I I can't think of specific spots that I really hated. Hmm. I just um I just think I I probably would have liked it more if they had picked a couple things and really spent some time on them instead of seven or eight things. Um. I think that could have been really cool and, and 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 would have even ironically i'm not sure given disney's um knack for money grubbing <laughs> i'm surprised that they didn't think of that you know to just spread it out over two or three films mm. and take some time yeah. on lando and the falcon take some time on chewy um take some time on how he gets if they were going to connect him with this early rebellion how is how
3: are they going to connect him with that yeah um, well, I so but. was this pre Mandalorian, right?
5: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, most yeah. Final Jedi.
3: I it, yeah. I feel like if it were if it were released today, it would probably be a series with how successfully sure. Mandalorian has done. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's, that's mistake the mistake. have to tell. I mean, because think of Han Solo; he supposedly has you know a hundred seedy acquaintances and a hundred botched jobs. That could, that could be the fodder for the, the yeah. tiny arcs each week. Sure, I, um, think,
5: I think that with this Lando series that's coming out, uh-huh. if they do a good enough cameo for uh, Han Solo and give him enough of a spotlight in an episode like they did yep. for Ahsoka Tano and uh, mm-hmm. Mandalorian, I think he could end up with his own series. Good. With the finale leading up to A New Hope. Yeah.
1: Well, look what you said, Dan, about that, too. You said if it would have been made today, it probably would have been a series. It's almost like it was made too early. That was This was a phase when Disney wanted to do movies of the titles A Star Wars Story. Right. They, wanted, they, were, they next wanted to do Obi-Wan A Star Wars Story. They wanted to do Boba Fett A Star Wars Story, and they wanted to do <laughs> Yoda A Star Wars Story. And um, Boba Fett now is benefiting from that because now he's getting his own series, The Book of Boba Fett. So that series is basically becoming what the Boba Fett of Star Wars story would have basically right. been. And, um, yeah, I guess it's a shame that maybe Solo wasn't made a year or two later for a series, because I think, yeah, I think you're right. A series would have benefited this story a lot more. You um, see, I
2: didn't even think of that. So that might actually hold a little more sway on my opinion.
1: Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> I just wow. scared my dog. <laughs> that actually was a valid very very valid point had this been made a year or two later and turned into a series instead mm-hmm. of just a standalone film I think that might have actually made me like it a little bit more
1: well think of it this way like you said about you know if
2: there was so a sequel... now I've got now I've got to sit here and rethink everything in my head be like I might actually have to go back and rewatch this movie again.
1: Just watch it in 10 minutes at a time, once <laughs> a week, <laughs> and look at it weekly, a month, a weekly but,
2: episode. But rewatch it again just to grasp the whole, just to grasp the entirety of the film and just picture in my head how it would play out as like a series.
3: Yeah. Maybe Absolutely. that might
2: actually sway my opinion more on it.
3: Well, it's working well already. I'm thinking in my head you're introduced into the city with these, um, you know, yeah, pho- photophobic aliens. And that could be a whole episode in and of itself. Then CD right. it's seedy, underdwelling of this dystopian planet. They mm-hmm. break out. They separate. That's maybe episode two or three. You know, ten episodes of Solo. I think that could be the dream.
5: And I know that, like... The whole extended universe of Star Wars is not canon because of Disney, but Corellia didn't used to be like a swamp, like cesspool of a garbage dump. Fancy, rich. It it pumped out a lot of rich people.
2: Hmm.
5: It was it was a crazy rich place. Hmm. You see, Mike and Jeremy, right? uh, Han being ex-imperial. Like I, that was that was also extended universe canon.
3: So right. so tell us tell us abbreviated canon followers a little bit more about Corellia's descent into
5: the slums. After the Empire took it over, they just turned it into a giant shipyard, and in in that it just that's all it was. It was just a shipyard. The same thing goes for uh, for Mon Calamari. That's that's also the same thing. But then they you know. Revolted and become rebellious.
3: They so were. So, what happened were, to the wealthy? Did they did they leave? Did they die? Did they?
5: I think they were turned into into different moths. I think they upgraded into the empire's infrastructure because they knew that there was no other way to go but that way.
0: Hmm. hmm.
1: Huh. You know, Jace. Now, now that you mentioned, your biggest gripe with this was if there was a sequel, you might have looked at it differently. So, I'm going to take it this way. Look at it this way. The Lando series is going to be your solo sequel. It's going to take place after it. It's going to tell the events afterward. Chances are there will be at least a cameo, maybe even a few episodes of The Solo Guy. There will be. There's got to be. Disney's going to have to invest in that. If if that series now is happening, and that's going to be your continuation, do you view, uh, view, um, view solo differently?
2: Fuck you, I'm not admitting I'm wrong. <laughs> it's a good point, ain't it? It's a good point. To be fair, Mike, you and Jeremy could have tried convincing me until the end of time, and I probably wouldn't have listened. It was the one that we didn't know whose opinion on it that brought up the most interesting point to me. That, that? starting What we were talking about before, if it would have been made into a series... I yeah think timing been, i think that really is swaying my opinion a little bit more on it
1: hmm. yeah i mean it, it, it's true i mean all right so here how about this mike
2: you guys successfully made it for make me think rethink uh my opinion on which success. one was the worst movie <laughs> oh ho, ho, ho,
1: ho. all right to clarify for the audience what was your original order and what have you changed it to now
2: Oh, I still think that Rise of Skywalker is absolute dog shit and worst film out of the out of the movies. Okay, but I did originally think that Last Jedi was better than uh, Solo. Having heard all your guys' arguments, I will admit I'm wrong, and that Solo is still better than,
5: uh, yeah, Last Jedi success yeah um I will say though uh, November of last year Ron Howard released a statement regarding a sequel to solo Wow there are no rumblings on it this is not a spoiler but I think there is interest in those characters I think there's interest in gangster world somewhere down the line but I can assure you there's nothing being developed as of right now
3: so is that is that Lando has that made that come to uh, fruition.
1: Um no. What what they've been talking about is Disney has been talking about possibly doing some possible Disney plus movies, like like the Star Wars stories they wanted to do. And there's been potential that maybe Solo 2 could be made into a Disney plus film. To continue there have, the story. Been, there
5: have been fans campaigning for a sequel to Solo.
1: Mm hmm. So it could still
3: happen. So it could happen. I think Even, I'd be one of them. I'd be, mm-hmm.
4: I, I think what could turn it around for me was if it involved one thing, more pod racing.
5: No, you know what? I actually think the, the one thing that could turn around the solo story is... Midichlorians. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy loves midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> They're coarse and rough and irritating and they get <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> No, I think I think a good story for cementing the bond between Chewbacca and uh, uh, finalizing the relationship between Han and Kira, and then also bringing in Darth Maul could be the Wookiee uprising of of
3: Kashyyyk. Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah.
3: Yeah, But you Mm. can't you can't redo that first moment, and they really bungled that. They really bungled the Chewie Han first moment. You didn't I like love, the
4: meeting. Well, I now now we're introducing too. multiverse, so that's just one of. Oh Han no, no, no!
3: There wow. you go. So <laughs> with <the> infinite meetings, <laughs> I, <wanted laughs> to be good.
5: I thought it was great. It showed that Han could speak okay, uh, a, the Wookiee language. It gave them a reason to get out and to get out together. Now it. It's a it's a jailbreak in itself. Like that'll bond somebody, not as much as their bond usually is. But I I think something could come of it.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I just so I was first exposed to the concept of like a life debt in um, gosh, what's it? Knights of the Old Republic while playing KOTOR. Yeah, and ever since I was. Re- introduced to that idea, I thought, man, I wonder what happened that Chewie should have a life debt with Han. And I guess I don't know if he even has one, but like, I, I just, and maybe that is the one part of the movie where my expectations weren't down in the dumps. I was like, you know, it wasn't received really well. At the very least, I'll get a great Chewie Han introduction moment. Hmm. Um, And it wasn't terrible. It wasn't bad. You're right. It would, there was like a cool element to them escaping together, but
0: Mm -hmm.
3: yeah.
2: Which I don't know. Maybe when this uh, Lando series, they might dabble somewhere into that.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to be curious to see how much they're going to get into, because if this is going to go back and forth between past and future, um, he obviously is going to have to interact with Solo again. He's got to. I mean, they, yeah. they have a lot of history. That's not like the last time they met is when he got the Falcon. So, yeah, I, I take it that there's got to be more of a story there, and we've got to see more of that interaction, even if it's see, just minimal.
5: I could see an episode of Lando start out with Billy D. Williams talking about how the relationship between – Solo and Chewie was not yep. always stellar. And that it, that that's when it kind of flashes back and you see the both of them fighting over something trivial, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's what leads into that episode that could really cement their relationship in the span of... Uh, I mean, give it an hour. You could totally give it an hour's worth of plot development, and you could forever cement those two in a
3: bond that won't break them apart.
1: Yeah. One episode yeah. could do it. You're right. One episode really could make the difference.
3: So in Brian Jacques' book Outcast of Redwall, it's Sunflash the Mace, who's a badger, and he has this hawk familiar. And in the first scene, Sunflash is just scene, it's a book. First whatever. Um He's just, like, knocking these baddies down left and right and saves this bird. And for the rest of the book, they're side-by-side fighting together. That's what I wanted. I should let it go. But it's just, like, I wanted something, like...
5: You wanted Han to carry Chewie on his hand like a falcon?
3: No, not necessarily, (laughs) but I wanted wanted the oft-viewed as scoundrel and non-sacrificial Han to have kind of like the surprising Iron Man moment where he shows his vulnerability to Chewie. Chewie recognizes it, respects it. Maybe his actions save him from some great peril or, you know... Like, like, kind of along the line of when Han respected the fact that Chewie had to go to save the other Wookiees mm. when they were in those mines. That feeling, but just deeper and more of an epic moment would have been cool. Like, mm. I don't know, maybe if, if Chewie was imprisoned with other Wookiees and Han put his life on the line to save him instead of just mm-hmm. being thrown into the pit with him. And sure. then they're fighting and... and Chewie's going to throw his arm, rip his arms off, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, because he yeah. knew Wookie, but, well, So
1: you basically mm-hmm. wanted a little bit of a bigger moment than what you got.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Like, how to train your dragon. The the well, relationship between Hiccup mm-hmm. and... you know. How do you,
5: how do you take a scrawny guy like Han Solo in that film to save a big animal like Chewie? Like... How do you, how well, do you, the set life
3: that... debt in, in Kotor was that Wookie with that small Twi'lek girl, Z? So, like, how did she get that, you know? Mm-hmm. Just the, I mean, it didn't even have to be something where where Chewie was humiliated underneath Han's prowess or competency or anything like that. Just a moment that really galvanized them together. And it might be one of those things like live action Avatar. I don't really know what I want and nothing will make me happy, but... (laughs) (laughs)
5: Like I said, either a sequel or uh, one episode, you could do it. You have to do it right. Yeah. Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice You know what <laughs>
1: Exactly Fuck <with> <laughs> <me>. <laughs> um, Okay, I guess my one big question Here would be uh, your favorite moment Of the movie and your least favorite moment of the movie
2: Favorite moment for me It was probably finally getting to see The Kessel Run
1: mm-hmm. Okay
2: Least favorite moment is any time Amelia Clark was on the screen.
1: Ouch! Sounds like my Lift Tyler moment from Lord of the Rings. You guys are tough. Sounds
5: it's like any Tyler, Tyler moment from the Incredible Hulk. Good point. Oh
2: no, she wasn't that. No, don't ruin that movie for me too.
1: Ruin it. Ru? What do you mean ruin it?
2: <laughs> Make it even worse than it already was.
1: That's not possible.
3: Um. You know what? This thought exercise, I'm going to thank you for it, Mike, because it's making me realize <laughs> how many moment, moments from the movie I want to say are my favorite. There's a oh. lot of great moments in this movie. There is.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a um, pick two. I'll give you an extra one.
3: <laughs> I I think uh, the Kessel Run, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I'm gonna have to go. I'll just settle on the castle run. That's good <laughs> <job>. <laughs> there's,
1: there's just too
2: many. <laughs> uh, so if I had
3: if I had to pick a second one that I'd
2: say is probably one of my favorite points in the movie is the introduction of Lando.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good
3: yeah i really liked the droid shenanigans i don't think it was my favorite there are just a lot of good moments
1: yeah yeah agreed
5: Hmm. i like the kessel run it's hard to stay away from the kessel run i know i know (laughs) yeah there are like a lot of small things in the movie that i liked about it small things that made me just kind of go wow it was noticed it's a nostalgic thing from, you know, the original trilogy, like why the engines in the Millennium Falcon are the way that they are later in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like you hear that power down sequence and I'm like, oh,
0: no, that's why.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: I guess a fair question would have been, what's your favorite moment other than the Kessel Run? <laughs> I guess that would have been more, a little bit of a fair question.
3: You know, I thought they they did the betrayal of Kira really well. Mm-hmm. In that uh-huh. her symbol on her body that ultimately ended up being like a marriage thing mm-hmm. to me first appeared as a slavery thing. Um yeah. and and with how stern he was to her and how you know cautious she was being around uh Paul Bettany, I really I just didn't see that betrayal coming and maybe I should have but when that <laughs> whole scene happened, I thought, "Oh no," And then they switched it, and they switched it on me again, and I was along for that ride. So that whole scene, where they were basically negotiating what was going on um, and revealing the the plot twists and stuff, that would if not the Kessel run, that would probably be that'd probably be my favorite part.
1: That's pretty good.
3: It's it reminds me of, not in the same way but in oceans when they explain how the heist actually worked. Yeah. And you're just like mm. that's such a rewarding moment. I felt that when I was watching that. I felt like, "Oh, cool. It's all coming together in ways I didn't necessarily expect." Right.
1: Hmm. What was your uh, what was your least favorite?
3: I have to go with the chewy moment. I mean, <clears throat> I it's yeah. Chewy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that would have to be it. Either that or early on in the movie, the whole Banditos thing just felt unearned. Like, people sacrificing their lives and I don't know them. And, well, now you're one of us, kid. And, oh, I'm on for the – this is the right thing to do. It just all felt very, like, on rails. Like, that's it's where it had yeah. to go, so that's where they went. But I did – there wasn't enough depth for me to affirm their decisions or disagree with them or whatever.
5: That's you fair. didn't know what they were thinking enough. you didn't yeah. have the outside. Um, you, you, you didn't have any other insides, you know.
3: Yeah, flesh out enough. Like you, you didn't mm-hmm. know them well enough to say like, "Yep, this is what they would do." It's just what they did because that's what happened because they told you it happened. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Sure. Yeah. So, Jeremy and Al least favorite um
4: oh sorry go ahead go ahead jerry no
5: go you go ahead i'm still thinking. um
4: fa- favorite moment was maul uh mm. outside of the kessel run pretty, yeah, being introduced uh, i was really excited when he was introduced as a criminal uh least favorite was uh dryden voss really
3: oh, just all of it
4: yeah yeah hmm. I, I, I i really didn't like dryden voss as a villain i think krennic was a great was a pretty um I think it was, a, what was his name, Mendelssohn?
3: Yeah, ben, ben Mendelsohn
4: in Rogue One. In Rogue One? I he did. Yeah, he, did. he was a very good villain uh, in Rogue One. I, I liked Krennic a lot, and it was nice that they had Tarkin, someone we knew. But I feel like with with Solo, I was hoping that it would be either a another another villain that I knew, um, or B, someone who was worth creating. And um, yeah. and I just I just didn't feel like uh, he was just really easily tricked by Solo. Easily killed by Kira. He just wasn't a very compelling villain. Well
3: um, okay. the one sense right. I got from Dryden Voss was mm-hmm. he was just as under the Sith's thumb as everyone else. Kind of that, like, even the top dog is serving an oppressive leader. And I thought to myself, like, how did he get those scars on his face? Was it force lightning? You know, Mm -hmm. like, like,
1: it could have been. Yeah. Good point. What
3: made him evil? And what did Kira see in him that made her want to marry him? And she even cited his, like, his cold pragmatism and how it helped her survive in this nasty world. And so Mm I, I agree he wasn't particularly unique, but I thought he was human in a way that I appreciated in a villain. Sure.
5: Yeah. Yeah, with, I think go ahead. Dryden boss, he wasn't uh there enough in the background. Like he didn't have he didn't have an expansive role. He thought everything was gonna go according to plan. And mm-hmm. when he was informed that it wasn't, he was, you know, preparing himself for you know, retribution. And that was it. He didn't watch over the castle Run. He wasn't... He was just waiting for them to get there, whether they mm-hmm. succeeded or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Huh. Sure. True. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Alistair, there. He, he was kind of a, you know, just kind of I'm a threatening in the background kind of villain. Um, in, a, in a way, I guess you could almost say by the time we get to the end that Beckett ends up becoming the true villain.
5: Hmm. I think there were in a too way. many... Too many villains, mm. too many antagonists trying to keep you know Han Solo from achieving his goal.
1: Infant's but nest, it, but one it's the wild out.
5: wild west. Imperials, <laughs>
1: the,
5: the jailers, the um, the people, the miners on Kessel, and then you know uh, everybody else in Crimson Dawn. It was just there was too many bad guys to where everything you weren't supposed to trust anybody. Everyone was supposed to feel like an enemy, but yet they weren't because none of them were that head honcho enough.
1: Sure. Yeah, for me, my favorite part. I mean, obviously the Kessel Run is is key, but if I had to pick one other than the Kessel Run, um. I'm reaching a a Dan problem here. There's a lot of moments that I like, and I'm trying to just pinpoint one specifically. Um, I I really liked the moments, um, the moment building when, when, when we had the crew together, we had Lando and Han and, and Kira and Chewie. I liked the moment of, of the crew collaboration, them working as a team and, and seeing how they all worked with each other, how they all bounced off each other, their chemistries. And I think the Han and, and Lando scenes, to be honest, are probably some of the movie's best scenes mm-hmm. because those two just have—they um, have that Harrison Ford, Billy D. Williams banter. The card car car
3: game was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Both
1: the card game was 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 fantastic. What a great opening for those two. Yeah. The thing uh-huh.
5: is that even at the end of the movie, cheating a cheater is still playing the game fairly. So he did win fair <laughs> and square. Yeah, and um, as much as as much as Han is a uh, a scoundrel, as everyone calls him, mm-hmm. he when when they're getting off of Kessel, he does still wait for permission from Lando to fly the Falcon before he actually. Does he's he's the an doctor. ethical scoundrel. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, th- those moments, I think, are really good. The Han Lando moments probably are some of my favorite uh, favorite moments. Uh, my least favorite. Um, I'm kind of in agreement with, with with Jason here with the with the Kira stuff because. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the relationship works better by the time we get to the end, um, the end stuff was really good. And I, and I really felt Han feeling betrayed, uh, that worked pretty well. So I think the, the ending stuff is a lot better than the stuff building through it. Um, it just seems as though, like, I I couldn't help throughout their whole relationship, keep thinking about Leia. I just couldn't because in the original trilogy, we almost get the sense that Han really never cared for anybody more than he cared for Leia. And now that we know that that's not true, in a way, I feel like some of the Han Leia stuff loses some of its...
5: See, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think the Han-Leia relationship is much stronger than the Kira-Han. Oh, it's stronger. uh, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason that it seems like he doesn't care about anyone else is that I think in the sequel, if there is one... Mm -hmm. Han needs to kill Kira for him to be for him to be so incredibly solid Ooh. when they first Ooh. meet him. I know it's dark. Mm. Ooh. Amelia now, needs to be killed again. Do you yeah. think a lot of
1: audiences would look at Han the same way though? Would that kind of maybe ruin people's image of him in, in the original trilogy?
3: Yeah, maybe it would just be a Henry Cavill Superman moment. Oh
1: jeez.
5: <laughs> 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 I truly yeah.
3: believe it though. I think I think that if there's a sequel, that Han shoots Kira. Here's here's my amendment. He kills Kira in a shoot off where he shoots second, <laughs> but he's but he's not defending himself. <laughs> I, he's I
1: defending would defending
3: someone else. I believe viewers would accept that.
1: I would was where gonna, was an accidental if, shot.
3: If she was gonna kill, he's gonna blow up a den of young children Wookies. <laughs> and they're, and they're <laughs> just having given birth a mother.
1: You know what? I would buy Han killing her if he had killed her by accident. Like, he's trying to save her, and he gets into a shootout or something, and maybe... She gets shot because she gets in the way. She tries to, to do something and he kills her by accident. Therefore, yep. it can kind of weigh on Han's conscience, but That's he learns me. to let go. I don't know. Okay. Um, but okay. So we've reached the part of the show. Then, Then we give Solo a final rating. We'll
2: start with you, Mike.
1: Okay. Um, well, you know that I hold Solo. I truly and honestly think, and this might be controversial in the sense that everybody likes Force Awakens a lot, but to me, Solo is the second best made Disney Star Wars film behind Rogue One. Hmm. I think that Disney did the Star Wars story movies better than the sequel trilogy, um, mainly because that the Star Wars story stayed more true and faithful to the ones that came before it, more so than the sequel trilogy did. Because the sequel trilogy just tried to force too much nostalgia down our throats, and that I think backfired greatly. Where the Star Wars stories did not, um, were willing to tell their own stories. So um, I probably would put Solo at a good solid eight. I I really I really like it, and I like the, the the feeling of the prequel and the original trilogy in it. And I think it just captures the magic that was missing from the sequel trilogy as a whole. Hmm.
3: So on a scale of one to ten. If I'm rounding up, I'm giving Solo 12 parsecs. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it. Um, I'm mad that it's cut short. I feel like they really started some things that I would have liked to see finished, especially with Darth Maul. I feel like about half of the relationships were not developed enough. Um, sure. But overall, it was a ton of fun, and it—I wasn't bored, and I'd watch it again. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm—I'm I'm gonna go with like a uh, my usual eight to ten. I'll put it right at an right at an eight.
1: Hmm. Yep. Two eights. I'll get give it a five. One movie that should have been two. Well, if I to ask you, Dan, where would you put Solo in the in the theme of the five Disney movies?
3: Uh, so by that you mean seven, eight, nine, Rogue One, Solo? Yeah. Uh, up to this point, Rogue One is my favorite. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think because it doesn't carry the baggage. See, but it doesn't have the nostalgia. Boy, you really put me on the spot. <laughs> It's definitely above eight. It's probably above nine. And I mean, I feel a nostalgia with with the sequel trilogy that I just didn't feel in Solo. But I don't think that's enough to overcome all the problems I think the sequel trilogy had. So I think it's right, right below Rogue One for me. Cool. Yeah.
1: All right, Al, back to you. Oh, that was yeah. I, that was all I had to say. <laughs> where, where do you where do you put it among
4: the five? Oh, among the five, I'd I'd I'd, I'd uh, join Jason in putting it above um, Last Jedi. So that yeah. would be what four
1: four out of the five. Yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah, but quite a quite a bit above Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a close second. No. Yeah, it was definitely better than Last
5: Jedi.
1: So, yeah, because of two. my
5: issue plot and the problems that I have brought up with uh, with this movie, I'm I'm gonna put it at like seven point five. I I can't I can't give it the full eight. It's a good movie. It's just not eight worthy. Okay. And answering wow. your question, to that <clears throat> I'd put Rogue One at the top. Yeah. Followed by The Force Awakens, then Solo, and then it's the other two on the bottom.
1: The other two are hard to, to, to pick the worst, huh?
5: It, they're tied for last place. I can't do it. That's really? It. We don't need I, to open that again. Nope, we don't need <laughs> to open that
1: again. Uh, wow, I'm actually surprised that uh, that Dan ended up uh, liking it slightly more than you, Jeremy. I'm, I'm very shocked. <laughs> Not the way I expected this to go.
5: Now it's Jason.
2: <laughs> I'm going to give this movie a six.
3: Wow.
1: You even get it higher than, than Alistair. Wow.
3: Hey. Wow. He rated it higher than he rated Incredible Hulk, right?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to do, but yeah.
3: So with that, he
5: likes this movie better than Incredible Hulk.
2: Uh. <laughs> i Gonna give this movie a six, based on the fact that while yes there were a decent amount of good points about this film that we had discussed, the negatives just far outweighed the good to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like I said, I'm it's gonna be one of those I'm gonna have to rewatch it and get myself in the mindset of if this were a series. Mm-hmm. Would it, ha- how would it have changed my rating on this.
1: And knowing Lando's coming.
2: But knowing this, um, order-wise, I'd have to agree with Jeremy. I'd have to say Rogue One, Force Awakens, then Solo. But I'm gonna actually have a definitive last two. I'm gonna say I'm going to say Last Jedi, then uh, Rise of Skywalker.
1: Mm. Wow, so we really changed your view here. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, not even just a little bit. I mean, the pretty of the extreme. Game? I mean, I thought you were going to give Sol like a change their minds. <laughs> I guess you will change your mind.
5: <laughs> Solo is a good Star Wars movie.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean,
2: to be fair, get that out of my face.
5: <laughs>
2: Little Solo I,
5: says, you know
2: you love me. To be fair, I the worst of the Star Wars movies out of that Disney's produced so far, I gave like a four. So that's not really swaying my vote that much. But it did put it towards like middle of the pack for me.
1: Well, since we reached the end of, of basically discussing the sequel trilogy, um, I guess my last big question would be is, if you had to put a number out of 10 on all five of Disney's movies combined, what would be the one number you'd put on their whole thing as a whole on how they basically did?
2: Well, I'll start this one. For me, it's going to be an average number of the five films. Like, I had Rogue one at like a 9.5 mm-hmm. out of 10. Uh, Star The Force Awakens, I had like an 8. This, I had a 6. Uh Last Jedi was a 5, and Rise of Skywalker was a Mm
1: 4.
2: So you figure, averaging that out, I'd say as a whole, I'd say I'd give this about a 7 out of 10.
1: So you're giving Disney a solid 7. So where would that be in comparison to the original and the sequel trilogy? What would you give those as an average number? As an average number?
2: I like the prequels more than I did the original films. Jeremy, we have another guy with a prequel guy. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: I well I've always thought the prequels were better than the original films. I have to give the prequels like a 9.
3: Which ones did you see first?
2: I saw the original first. Oh yeah. And well and then I'd have to give the uh, original films like a
1: s- I'd have to give the originals
2: like a 7.5.
1: So slightly above the sequel trilogy. Interesting. Uh. But
2: at the same time, I've watched the originals, obviously, before the prequels, but at the same time, I've also watched them chronologically in order from 1 to 9 as well. Uh And my opinion on that still has swayed. The only thing that's really swayed my opinion on any of the Star Wars films was tonight, and I
1: hate myself for it. (laughs) Pat pat yourself on the back, Jeremy and Dan. We succeeded.
2: (laughs)
5: change your opinion about Star Trek now on to Star Wars. damn we're on a roll.
2: <laughs> well, you're not on a roll, like Jeremy's on a roll here.
1: Hey, hey, I hey, we did we could we convinced you on something else too? Did we not, Jeremy? What else we convinced? I can't
5: remember at this point.
1: You, you both <laughs> I, have not convinced me here.
2: I, Jeremy has
1: convinced me on both
2: Star Trek and Star Wars, and I hate myself for it.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get partial
4: hey, credit Jason, for so Do you well, think you, it. I can convince you that I'll beat you in fantasy next year? Ooh. You can convince
2: me all you want, but the 0-3 <laughs> record had against me this year proved otherwise. And it was by a wide margin every time. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: So I I hate numerical values, but what I aim to do is say the greatest strength and weakness of each of the three.
0: Mm-hmm. The
3: greatest strength of the original trilogy is it lays the foundation for years of amazing science fiction fantasy.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: It's so, it's cool. Everybody that likes Star Wars has to concede that this creation of mysticism mixed with science fiction in a fantastical environment is awesome.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, Secondly, I'll say before the remasters practical effects, those are two strengths in the primary trilogy that I just, they, they're awesome. Prequel trilogy the strongest thing about it is the character development but the weakest thing about it is the execution and the overuse of cg Mm -hmm. in the newest trilogy their strongest thing has got to be the way that they used effects i mean we're talking weapons ships i just loved the effects and the the weakest i think is the character development and that for me relates to what i said about cultural and political context all that being said i think solo and rogue one stand above the pack in those two regards in terms of giving us at least some context um and not just playing the old nostalgia bag so Mm -hmm. i yeah i like them all for very different reasons, and I don't think I can <laughs> put them against one another very well. Mm-hmm.
1: I feel you. Uh-huh.
5: This was a good discussion tonight. I feel like it was really, really good.
2: Yeah, it was. It was. It was but, uh, let's go ahead and hear your
3: so now, jeremy <laughs>
5: yeah. i was trying to avoid that
3: yeah. <laughs> just do what i did ramble for 30 <laughs> seconds and refuse to answer the question
1: <laughs> you succeeded dan you succeeded
5: the thing is it's hard to it's hard to come back with something after dan's speech it's really uh not uh, we should have ended on dan's speech instead of what <laughs> what i'm stuck with oh
2: Oh, we're not ending it on you. We're ending it on Mike. He's the oh, last
5: one. Right.
3: <laughs> I haven't heard Alistair's.
1: 6. Oh, that's right. Nine. Alistair hasn't killed Wow. I <laughs> <We all laughs> forgot about Al. Wow. Yeah, yeah
5: we did. Um, <sighs> as a whole, as, as Star Wars as a whole is, is such a great story in itself. Mm-hmm. It, over the it's the It's the lore of the universe that matters. It's not the lore of the individual story. <clears throat> to where each each and every film has its merits and has its downfalls to where I feel like we should just enjoy the movies as they are and not critique them into the ground <laughs> all the time because of their pitfalls
3: <laughs> whoa 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 whoa.
5: What <laughs> well what are you what are you saying? Is it is are you
3: saying that uh I, know, I won't
2: critique it. Rise of Skywalker into the damn
1: oh, ground. Let's not get into that <laughs> for me, <laughs> not get into that.
3: For me part of loving any piece of media is to critique it. Because I I usually access greater appreciation for it by you know, poking and prodding and asking questions. And maybe, you know, you get to love a series well enough that you start knowing how to make fun of it. And it, that's just part of the fun for me. I,
0: in moderation.
5: Oh, yeah. I'm not saying you like critique it every day to the point where you dislike it. It's yeah. just, it's healthily critiquing it. Just kind of going, oh, I didn't notice that. I guess I don't really like that sort of thing. But,
3: well, one it's interesting. One of the things I've noticed about you, Mike, is mm-hmm. despite the fact that you do directing and special effects for independent movie development, is you have a pretty um, unsnobbish way of analyzing movies. You give a lot of them, like, you know just the esteem that they can earn in the realms that they have earned them. And you're not extraordinarily hard on movies. And that I think is the tenor of the podcast. And I like that,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, that's, I think because for so many years, I think I gained such an appreciation for what movies did for me as a kid. And, you know, I, I, I've listened to some, some things on YouTube of people really heavily criticizing something. And they take things so literally and they don't allow themselves to just sit back, relax, and enjoy what they're seeing.
0: Mm.
1: And I, I think the biggest issue with, with, with movie critics as a whole is that like, for instance, I'll give you a good example of one. Um, When, when a kid's movie comes out or a cheesy comedy, critics tend to destroy them. And I'm thinking, wow, this is your job and you are not seeing what the movie is attempting to accomplish what it was made for, who it was made for, what it's attempting to do. The cheesy humor was made on purpose. And they don't see that because critics refuse to allow themselves to physically enjoy a movie. They don't know how to enjoy movies. That's why they usually they look at foreign films as being the highlight of film per year. Why the Oscars uh, yeah. always have films that nobody really has seen. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know how to enjoy films. And 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 that's what I've always done yeah. for myself. When I make my movies, I don't yep. make my films in in the sense of appealing the snobbish film critic. I I make the movie based on. I'm with on you.
2: I'm with you fun. on that one for sure, Mike. To me, like when I'm writing, I'm not writing to cater to an uh, wide or audience to cater to a specific group of people. I'm catering to what is good to me and that's exactly how it. I feel about it, if I can go back after I finished it and read through it and be like, that was a pretty damn good story, or that was a good script, that could make a good movie, guess what? I feel like I accomplished what I want set out to do. I'm not going to try to appease the masses, which, which in today's society, obviously in uh, the media and all that, is looked at like, whoa, what the hell is he thinking? Is he trying to ruin himself? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. If that's what you think I'm doing, then go for it. But I'm going to do what I feel is a masterpiece to me.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. Is is that I, I I write the movies based upon what I would enjoy in the theater. What what would I want to see? Not based upon what I think somebody's going to look at my all my technical factors. You know, detail my script or or tear it apart or or whatever you, you want to, you want to say. Um, and that's important. And I and I think that that's the biggest problem today. Like what we're all doing. I think is we are the actual movie critic. We all five of us enjoy movies for what they are. We don't. I mean, think of it this way: we we've gone through Marvel, we've gone through Lord of the Rings, we've gone through Star Wars, and we look at what we enjoy in them. We do see flaws in them, sure, but we're looking at the movies of what what they did for us personally. Maybe, maybe they got us through a hard time in our life, or or you know, there, there's always seems to be sometimes that a movie sometimes connect you to to a life event. Hmm. too sometimes and that's sometimes what i do in my writing too write life events and um that's why i like what we all all do because i think there needs to be more people like us who give fair critiques of movies and and see the the fair points in them all
5: exactly
3: there's a there's a scorsese quote i guess where he was asked if he watched the marvel of the Avengers movies or Marvel movies or whatever, and I'm pretty sure he was like, "I tried. It's not cinema," and had this highbrowed you know, snarky perspective. <laughs> one of the things that I found really interesting about Marvel, Star Wars, is um, one of my emphases in college was um, was classics and mostly Greek, the language and the mythology. And these story arcs, these, yeah, they're a little bit more corporate maybe, but these are the modern mythologies. And so I kind of enjoy looking at them as, as a modern telling of mythological stories and, and archetypes. One of my teachers actually, when we were studying (laughs) our Greek, he was like, you know, I don't watch these movies because there's myth that exists and I like that better. And he was referring to like the Greek and Roman and all the ancient myths. (coughs) But that almost gave credence to these stories for me because they're like the contemporary myth. And so Mm. I think, yeah, maybe you can get highbrow and maybe they're not artsy or maybe they go for entertainment value. Mm -hmm. But I think it's silly to pretend that those elements or factors aren't a part of, of filmmaking
1: well, Scorsese, you know, I have a lot of respect for him as a filmmaker, some of some of my top films, you know, are, are made by him, I like, you know, Shutter Island and Goodfellas and The Departed and when he said that about Marvel, I just thought, wow, you know, I thought you had a great understanding of film and for you to say that, it's like, you're missing the whole point, you're just missing the point completely, he came off as one of those film snobs in a way, and yeah. I just thought, you know, I, I I thought I, I knew you better based upon, you know, how you make movies and how you approach them. And it just, it disappointed me in him a little bit mm-hmm.
3: in the same regard, though. I can see how, when you get so deep into the culture of film, just, it's kind of like, I remember feeling lost when extra contemporary music was introduced to me in the music studio when I was before I switched my majors, it was like hard to connect to. And a lot of it was based on this insider knowledge of what was going on and what themes and patterns were being broken or played with. Um, and so I can, I get it, but movies are still for the every person.
1: (laughs) Well, it's like when I made, um, when I made time travelers and, you know, um, It was just your standard good versus evil story. I mean, there was nothing overly complicated about it. It just was a story just for people to enjoy.
3: I have a question. Now that I have Dresden Frost and the writer and director for Time Travelers in the third movie, okay? This is my biggest (laughs) gripe, and I, I need this question answered. Okay. I'm wondering this whole time, what's this... White stuff on Frost. I get it's thematic and it looks like, you know, frost, but mm-hmm. then I'm like, is it residue from time travel? Is it him abusing the uh, time travel? Jason, you one, take that uh, one. So but, that one well, to you, Mike. the line in the movie was I think, you know, it's just one of those things. And I was like,
1: What? <laughs> you know what? I look at it kind of like this. I look at it as being one of those things where the the audience kind of comes up with their own opinion on it. But if I had to give you a little bit of an answer.
3: Okay. um,
1: (laughs) I think Frost's biggest thing, when he says about how it's it's kind of who he is and, and how he feels based upon how he is, I think Frost in a way feels the need that he has to stand out. Um, he's trying to be somebody that remembers him. Think of it this way, like in the second movie, when he completely goes full face, it's so that he's the president, but he's not your typical president. Okay. He's a president that you will not forget. And he wants to make sure that he is not forgetful. It's kind of like his way of putting his stamp in history that even though this might be weird and this might not be normal, this is who I am. And you will remember me no matter what you think of me.
4: Mm. Mm. That does away with my theory, Dan. I thought it was just yeah. face, face cream or lotion or something.
1: <laughs> well, the
3: I I thought it was because of some unknown abuse of time travel. That's pretty that good. Just like the residual build up on his person, mm. of, like uh-huh. constantly using and abusing the system.
1: You know, that's not bad. I kind of I kind of wish that you were uh, you were there and you could have said, "Hey, you, you know, what? know That might be a good <laughs> idea." <laughs> yeah, with- I'll, I'll sit at the
3: writer's table.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go. Let's uh, let's let's hire Dan to be the uh the the writer of the spinoff series. <laughs> the Dresden Frost Chronicles. I can hear the flop right now. <laughs> hey Jason, you said you want to play a villain again. How about going back to Dresden Frost and just doing the Dresden Frost story?
2: Because <laughs> I'm done doing physical roles.
1: Oh, I'm with you. <laughs> this is not a physical confirmation of time travels continuing. The series is is sad to say over, but it, it got closure. God,
2: we you know it's only not
1: like we've been doing this for the last nineteen. We, years we did do it something. for a long time. <laughs> the story finally got closure. Let's just put it that way.
5: You know, I think the five of us could come up with a pretty good movie idea. I think mm-hmm.
1: so too. I do. I think. I think five people in the writers' room. I think that got to be one hell of a brainchild film. It'd be fun. It would be. I like um, it. But uh who who didn't uh finish their rating? I I, I lost track of who You know. Oh, me. Al did you finish? Yeah. yeah you did. You did. 9. Okay. Um no, um as as a whole for, for uh for Disney um I'd say about a six and a half or a seven on how they done. And uh, a lot of that's carried by Solo and Rogue One. Um I I do have my problems even with Force Awakens, but I won't get into all all that. Um, you can listen to the other episode for that. Yeah. The, you know, my there, there. Um, the prequel trilogy has is, is, been a nine and a half. And the only reason why I won't give it a perfect 10 is because Natalie Portman and Revenge of the Sith brings it down just a little. It's just enough to bring it down below 10. Um, and the original trilogy is a, is an eight um, with with no problem there. Uh, hmm. Because that was the trilogy that introduced me to Star Wars. So I definitely can't give it below an eight. that would... Be an impossible feat for me to do, hmm. um, but yeah, that 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 sequel trilogy. Uh, I didn't I didn't raid the sequel uh, for sequel trilogy, did I? Um, Rogue One, Solo, um, Last Jedi is obviously last for me. <laughs> now, see, this is where I get confused because I go to Rise of Skywalker and Force Awakens, and I know what some of your guys' opinion of Rise of Skywalker is, but there are still some things that I like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, F- Force Awakens to me relied, I think, to be honest, disagree with me or not, I think that movie relied heavier on nostalgia than Rise of-, Rise of Skywalker did. I thought it did. Because I thought Force Awakens, as I watch it more and more, it becomes more and more of a duplicate of A New Hope. It really does.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And that bothers me a little bit. And that almost makes me want to put up below Rise of Skywalker just for that simple <laughs> thing. Because I can't say that about Rise of Skywalker.
3: But the positive, again, in contrast to Rise of Skywalker, is the plot makes sense.
1: It does. <laughs> but, well, it does, but Rise of Skywalker makes sense, too. It's just the thing about Rise guess. of Skywalker is, of course, everybody's going to say the Paul Pattin issues at Rise of Skywalker is its biggest issue. And it is, because the film should have explained its clone or he's alive issue, and it, and it didn't do that. And the fact that I we know there's scenes yeah. out there, it should be in the film.
3: I vote he's alive, and I know that's not the direction they went. They went clone, and I know well, I you disagree with. with it, Al, but huh. but he, I say he's alive. I say he cheated death.
1: Hmm. That's what I go with. I think he found a way to cheat death. That makes the I most sense. I think there's to me.
3: a long time honored tradition of Star Wars characters falling down long shafts, and we presuming them dead. Find out later that they're not. I think
4: his original physical body is dead, but I could buy that his uh, spirit lives on in the clone.
3: Well, so so then my question is: Why is the body he's chosen to inhabit literally rotting off being the or being
4: bone, or still growing?
1: Um, <laughs> also—I
5: mean, the, the whole the deal of him rotting could also be the um, and the representation of the evil just kind of eating away at the effects of the body that he is inhabiting.
1: I may be able to provide a little bit of an answer for you, Dan. We're trying to like
3: work our way back to why he's, you know, 70 some years old in physical form, rotting off the Mm -hmm. flesh. If he were a clone, he'd be like, you know, 25 years old. He'd be Adonis for goodness sakes. Unless he Um, ended
1: up liking the way he looked. Possibly.
3: We all know that's impossible. (laughs) Um, you don't dabble in the dark side of the force to preserve your life when you like the way things are going in your twilight years.
1: <laughs> um, the one thing I can definitely answer you on on this is that you guys know who Matt Smith is, the uh, the actor. He played Doctor Who. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yes. He was rumored to be part of the cast um, and that he shot scenes. And apparently the scenes that he shot were Palpatine had possessed his body and that Kylo kills him in the beginning of the film, and that's why Palpatine goes back to his clone-on-clone body. Hmm. So, that might be in the director's cut. I don't like it.
5: See, the, the thing is that then they would have done the exact same thing in Rise of Skywalker as they did in, uh, oh, what's the, Terminator <laughs> Genesis, or something like that, because Matt Which? Smith is the bad guy in there, too. Uh,
3: first of oh, all, yeah. I'm here to advocate for Terminator Genesis. And say that it was a good movie. <laughs> Who wants to <laughs> fight me?
5: I'm never going to fight you. I think all the Terminator movies are <laughs> just brilliant.
1: <laughs> Je- Je- Genesis I, is a lot better than people give it credit for. I Terminator first,
3: Terminator next. <laughs>
5: yeah,
1: although Dark Dark Fate kind of bothered me a little bit, but that's a whole different thing.
3: Yeah, Tur- you know what? Didn't get the ending it deserved. Sarah Connor Chronicles, <laughs> God, it yeah,
1: it didn't get the ending it deserved. No question there. And Chronicles of Riddick. Well, that's but coming. That, that ending's ending coming. Though, didn't it? Huh. It's coming to an end. They're making another movie. Riddick. Oh, they are. Yeah, cool. A fourth one. Um, uh, yeah, that's fourth. Yeah, it yeah. would be mm-hmm.
4: if you include mm-hmm. that second one that was a the
3: cartoon. They animated. Yeah, heck, yes. Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. But um.
1: Cool, guys. You know, that was that was a great discussion. I, I really enjoyed that one. And we got into some different things that I think were were still really good as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I know we talked about doing The Mandalorian uh, here soon, too. Yes. Um, and uh,
3: remember, we're going to do The Mandalorian alongside watching it. These are watch party episodes.
1: Yes. Yes, they are. They're watch party episodes. That'll make things a little bit more interesting for us doing something so we different. We probably
3: can't have the show showing in the feed right but we mm, can
1: yeah we probably could watch the episode and then after after we watch the episode we can just do our cast no i mean, we're I mean right into
3: talk it. talk as we oh as it's on as it's on so what we'll i think would be cool is if we said okay we're starting and like the time the countdown when it mm-hmm, hit sure. zero that's when we all hit play <laughs> And so we're talking about it as it's happening. And I think it'll do a couple things. One, it'll be fun to watch as you listen to our podcast, kind mm-hmm. of like your commentary. Morning Two, commentary. it'll keep it'll keep us till like an hour or an hour and a half. <laughs> it'll
1: condense us down into a time frame. Yeah, yeah. Um so, yeah, uh, we're going to we're going to do that. And then uh, that other idea I threw out there, too, about, you know, possibly picking out uh, three of each of our favorite films and discussing them and getting opinions and doing ooh. something like that would be kind of cool, too. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, Doing a show like that would be I think pretty cool to get everybody's kind of view on what films they like the most and, and why they like them.
3: Yeah. And then we'll start streaming our writers table for the new movie we're going to develop <laughs> yeah. where the fans try and influence the story. I, and
2: I'll, with that idea, I'm like, I like that idea of picking our three favorite movies and then discussing with that. I and I'll just throw my favorite movie of all time out here right now. Son of a Woman. Hmm. With I have to look Al Pacino and uh, Sean Astin.
1: Well, I definitely got to hear that. Why that is. I'm curious to hear that one. Cool.
2: So, cool. Yeah, We'll definitely have to get into something like
1: that then. There's the little teaser. Okay. Um, cool. So uh, thank you all for joining us uh, on another good debate and another good podcast. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks for being here, guys. That's a wrap. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cut and print. I've been running scams on the street since I was 10. Kicked out of the flight academy. For having a mind of my own,
3: I'm gonna be a pilot.
0: Best in the galaxy. Hey, kid. I'm putting together a crew.
3: You in? That's yes.
0: I might be the only person,
2: who knows, what you really are. Uh.
3: What's that?
0: Get ready.
5: thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine.